We're starting a brand new message series today called The, Gr- the Grace Truth Tension. And you know, I was thinking about uh, something I do about once a month, roughly. Uh, once a month, I go to see a chiropractor because I have some uh, neck issues from some old sports injuries and some new stupidity injuries. <laughs> That's how I get them nowadays, right? Let's just be honest. Uh, but, but it helps because it kind of gets me back in alignment, right? Relieve some of that tension going on there in my neck. And it's interesting because I'll lay back on the table and Dr. Holly, she actually attends, I think she's at our 11 o'clock service right now on the other side. Uh, she will uh, take, take my head in her hands, kind of move it around a little bit, feels kind of good, helps. But then she'll do something that often hurts a bit, right? She'll like that. I wouldn't let anybody else in this room do that because she knows what she's doing, right? And so she, she makes me hurt a little when she does that but it's not a bad hurt, right? It's really, it kind of hurts good, you know? Because when she does that, I know I'm going to be feeling better soon. Unlike the injuries, those are just bad hurts. They keep coming and they keep bugging me and all that stuff. The hurt that she brings into my life, it's, it's kind of a good hurt. You know, in this series, as we talk about this grace and truth tension, you may have some moments where you feel a little bit of that Ouch, <laughs> because God's word does that some, some, sometimes to us. It, it brings us back into alignment with how God has created us to be. But I hope that if you feel that at all, that, that you'll see from the Lord that, that it's a good hurt, right? It's the kind of hurt that, that helps us to be aligned with how God's created us to be. We get this idea of this tension uh, from really from the person of Jesus, In the book of John, uh, he is, in the very first chapter, he's talking about who Jesus is, and John is very interesting because he doesn't start in in a stable in Bethlehem. He goes all the way back to creation. And that's where he, find, he, he tells us about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word. That's how he refers to Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he continues here a few verses down. He says, the Word became flesh, that's Jesus became flesh, became a person, and made his dwelling among us. Another translation says, he moved into our neighborhood. I like that. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's who Jesus is, full of grace and truth. And then it continues on. It says, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So so you see how this works out. That in, in Moses, God gives us the law. The law is truth, right? It tells us, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. That's how a law operates. The law convicts every single one of us because all of us are sinners. We all mess up. We all fall short of God's glory. And so the law is truth. It's truth about how we should live. But if it were just the law, we're in a really bad position. Because the Bible's really clear that the wages or the payment for sin is death, but God's gift is eternal life. You see, if it were just the law... I don't qualify. I, I, I don't receive eternal life because I'm a sinner. And God is holy. He's perfect. I am not. And, and so I've got a big problem. And so in God's truth, we have the law. In God's grace, Jesus comes. And what does he do? Does he just abolish the law, say, eh, that law didn't work out so well. We're going to just forget that. No, he doesn't. 
he actually comes and perfectly fulfills the law. 33 years of life on this earth, and he never sins. That's amazing. And he lives the perfect life. He gives his life for you and for me. And, and, and so that is grace right there. So he is the full embodiment of both truth and grace. That's Jesus. Now, we struggle with that a little bit sometimes. Because while Jesus, he's always full of grace and truth, we're often not. And when we say he's full of grace and truth, it doesn't mean he's like 50% grace, 50% truth. No, he's 100%, 100%. He's always full of grace and truth. We tend to be grace or truth kind of people. Like uh, Pastor Andy Stanley said it this way. He said, uh, when I'm teaching and telling other people what to do, I like truth. When, when it's being applied to me, I like grace. <laughs> Fair enough. We all get that, right? We can tend to be grace or truth, and it often can vary based on what the thing is that we're talking about. On some things, we're more grace, and on other things, we're more truth, right? Uh, To illustrate, I've put together just a few pictures this morning we're going to see in just a moment here on the video screen, Um, and they are pictures that I, I know are things that that are, are controversial. There are people with differing opinions on them. And I do this to show that we have things that we feel more grace towards and we have things we feel more truth towards. Um, don't worry, I've set them all to uh, Mozart's music, so that'll lower your blood pressure a little, okay? You're welcome. But seriously, I mean this. I don't, as these are showing, please, I don't want any cheering or jeering, whatever, okay? This is not to divide our congregation. Uh, this, what I want you to do as you watch them is just kind of reflect on the feelings that you feel as, as you're seeing these things. Let's check it out. You'll notice I'm showing my bias as I gave uh, double the time to the Bengals as anybody else. So there you have it. (laughs) But seriously, I bet for all of us, if we're honest, there were some feels that kind of got stirred up with some of that. Maybe a little mad, sad, glad, scared kind of things happening in our hearts. Jesus came full of grace and truth, not grace or truth. The world doesn't operate this way, though. Instead, we tend to, um, well, if we just look at, at evil, we tend to ignore some evil, and we tend to really condemn other evil, and it's often kind of based on which ones that we ourselves struggle with. And when I talk about these things, um, it's not that we can't have opinions. We can and should, really. As followers of Jesus, our opinions should be shaped by God's Word. This is, this is what is foundational in our lives. So we absolutely can, we should have opinions on these kind of things. We often struggle, though, to communicate those opinions with both grace and truth. For example, maybe this is kind of a litmus test. 
if, if there's something that you disagree with, let's just say in politics, because that's an easy one to understand disagreement on, let's say that you disagree with somebody on some political thing, can you talk to them and explain their position in a way to them that they would say, yeah, that's what I believe, and then say, okay, here's why I see it this way, and do so with love and grace. Because for many of us, we can't even explain their position in a way that they'd be like, yeah, that's what I believe. Instead, we explain their position in a way that's kind of not graceful, and they're like, yeah, I don't even, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even think that, right? We struggle oftentimes with this tension of, of grace and truth. And, and the thing about attention is that when, when we experience attention, when we see attention, we want to resolve it. We want to just make it go away. That's our nature. We're fixers. But Jesus, he upholds this grace-truth tension with his life and with his teachings. For example, take sexuality, for example. Our culture says that you can have sex with whoever you want as long as it's consensual. I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but I think that's the general way that our culture looks at sex now and and really has for, for a little while. It's it's pretty broad, to say the least. And if you live that way, friend, there's a lot of consequences. You've got to remember that sex is God's idea. He's the creator. And perhaps he knows more about it than, than what we do. And so God gives us some, some laws, some, some rules around this. And, and he gives it to us for a reason. Because when we don't, when we don't live within God's rules... We have broken hearts, broken marriages, maybe pregnancies we're not ready for, maybe STDs. Uh, A variety of hurts can happen. The Bible, on the other hand, teaches something very different than our culture about sex. And it teaches us God's truth about sexuality. And, And the Bible is a whole lot more limited than our culture is on the topic, right? The Bible says that God created sex to be enjoyed in in the context of marriage. The Bible speaks against adultery, same-sex sexual activity, sex before marriage. But that's not all. Jesus takes it even to a higher level. He says, if you look at another person with lust, then you have committed adultery with them in your heart. Ouch. That's a really high standard, don't you think? I mean, I don't know... I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> but I doubt that there's too many of us in here who hear all those standards and say, yep, always lived it out perfectly. What's the next topic? I doubt it. I really doubt it. God's teachings are tough. God's truth is tough. Why? Is it because God's trying to ruin all of our fun? No. It's because God knows what he created us for. He knows the gift that he's given us in marriage, and he wants us to experience this in such incredible ways. Truth and grace. So we know we hear God's truth, and we know our need for God's grace as we look at our own lives. But you know, sometimes we just don't live it out real well. I mean, as I look at the church's response to the, the pride movement, it, it breaks my heart because in, I think we fall into some extremes sometimes that are dangerous. 
on the one side, we may be just affirming what God calls sin, and we can't do that. But on the other side, oftentimes we're very judgmental and, and condemning. In fact, sometimes we, we even pass legislation to make life harder for LGBTQ persons when we don't do that for adulterers, but we don't do that for people who struggle with lust. And we wonder why people look at us and say, you know, you are kind of hypocritical on some of this stuff. God forgive us. We don't want to be there. We, we so often want truth for them and grace for us. Jesus doesn't do it that way. 100% grace, 100% truth for everybody. Jesus doesn't have grace days and truth days. He doesn't have grace topics and truth topics. It's all grace, it's all truth, and that's why there's hope for all of us. Because we'd all be in serious trouble if it weren't for Jesus, both grace and truth. It's our job as followers of Jesus to, to proclaim this grace and truth in the way that we live and the way that we teach. And I've seen people leave churches, I'm not talking about here specifically, but leave churches because they don't agree with, with God's truth being taught, okay? We're not here to edit God's Word, though. We're here to proclaim God's Word. But I've also seen people leave churches because they felt ridiculed or dehumanized, excluded. We can't be okay with that. God is love. We're called, we love because God first loved us. So we're called to be loving and Full of grace. Sometimes we say things like, love the sinner, hate the sin, and it sounds kind of, it sounds all right at some level of truth, but it's problematic because, well, I'm a sinner too, and it can kind of be, it seem kind of arrogant. What if I started with love the sinner and hate my own sin? Because I don't know about you, but I still got stuff I'm working on here. And, and if I look at my own life, and how have I been changed? How, have, how, have, how is God transforming me to be more like him? I'll tell you how. It's not by anybody yelling at me. It's by Jesus. You see, when I asked Jesus into my heart, he began by the power of the Holy Spirit to work on me, to convict me of my sin. And little by little, he's helping me to be more and more like him. It's this long process of growth in holiness that every Christian is, is called to. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that the day after I became a Christian, God didn't give me a list of all the problems that need to be fixed by tomorrow. That would have been a rough day. He's working on me little by little, and it doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. Sin absolutely matters. And that's why Jesus is working on me. He's full of truth and grace. We said in the last series, we never hold the world to Christian standards. What we do is we proclaim Jesus to the world because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the author of salvation. He is the one who, he, he loves everyone so much and he wants them to experience his grace and he wants to experience them to experience his truth. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to keep working on all of us in those matters. If 
if any of this makes you uncomfortable, I just want to tell you a story about a day where everybody was uncomfortable, okay? Jesus had this encounter one time where he was teaching in the temple courts, and uh, let me just read it here from John chapter 8. Uh, it says, the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. That's a bad day right there, okay? They're caught, she's caught in adultery and caught by the religious leaders. No bueno, right? They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. <laughs> now what do you say. Wow. This is tough. We know what the law says. We stone her. Not recreationally. We're talking rocks here, right? Like, we circle around her, we all grab big rocks, we chuck them at her until she dies. It's violent. It's painful. But there's a reason. There's a reason because sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death. And some of you know the pain of adultery. You might have, it might have been present in your parents' relationship. Or maybe you yourself have been cheated on. Or you yourself have committed adultery. Or you've had friends. You know, you know how much this hurts. You know how much this hurts. And when we experience that, we get truth. We see why there's a need for truth. If we've been on the receiving end, look, I, what was done to me was wrong. I was hurt, and that person should pay. How can they do that to me? After all these years, how could they do that to me? How could they do that? How could they say that? How could they think that of me? How could they possibly do it? You know what? We need some more truth around here, because truth is what keeps people on the right path. And some people on the wrong path have hurt me, so I'm all for truth. You may know that feeling. That's where the religious leaders were at that day. But there was a problem, you see. Not to be, not to state the obvious, but you can't really commit adultery by yourself, you know. And they bring a woman in and... <laughs> by herself, who's allegedly caught in the act, right? And so we, the Bible is interesting because it often doesn't answer all the questions I want it to answer, right? I'm like, wait a minute, time out, I have a question. Where's the guy? Didn't tell us. I, a lot of scholars believe, and I tend to suspect, that this was a setup. Why? Because they were always looking to trap Jesus. That was one of their goals, and so they bring in this woman into this situation that just, well, for one, it feels kind of mean, right? And we would say that, that truth without grace is mean, just feels mean, just all truth, no grace here. I mean, where's the guy? Is this even fair? Is this right? Is, why would we have a woman caught without a man here? What's going on But you know, I wonder if Jesus kind of saw into this as, as he was looking at it. I wonder if he saw their hearts and knew this. I'm not sure. But what I do know is Jesus was in a real pickle here. Because you see, according to Jewish law, she's to be stoned. But the Romans are in charge over the Jews now. And the Romans would not allow the Jews to carry out a capital sentence without their permission. 
So they couldn't really just stone her. So if Jesus says to stone her, he's coming against the Romans. But if Jesus says to let her off the hook, he's standing against the law. This is a pickle. This is a trap, right? Is he going to stand with the folks who are hurt because they're judgmental? Or is he going to stand with the woman who's hurting right here? Imagine what it was like to be her in those moments. She's embarrassed, humiliated. It's the worst thing she could possibly imagine. Sir, she did it. She's guilty. But what about the guy? And what about all the sinners around me who are so eager to start chucking rocks at me? She breathes deeply, panting, as these may be her very last breaths. And it all hangs in the balance right now with Jesus Christ. Jesus, what are we going to do about it? You know the law, right? What say you? (laughs) And what does Jesus say? The verse says, go right, go ahead and stone her. Not what she wanted to hear. But let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. Not what they wanted to hear. Because the interesting thing is, in Jewish law, if a person is charged like this, there had to be two eyewitnesses, okay? Two people had to have caught her. They come before and they testify. Then the authorities will decide if their testimony is true or not. If so, and she is convicted, then the first one by law to cast the stones are these two witnesses. So you best have been telling the truth because you're going to start the execution if you're the one who brought the charge. Jesus handles this perfectly. It's like he knows what they've done. He knows this setup. He knows that even in this moment, what they've done is not right. For they don't have two people here. They have one person. Let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. You you want some truth? There's your truth. Go ahead and stone her. And the one without sin cast the first stone. And then in that moment... You've got one of the most gracious sounds in the whole Bible as a whole bunch of rocks hit the ground. And from the oldest to the youngest, they file away. Why? (laughs) Well, maybe the old-timers had done some more sin in their life, or maybe they were just a little more honest about it. And so now here she is, and she stands there with Jesus. Ironically, the one guy... Who's qualified to chuck a rock right now? And he looks at her and he says, Woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Imagine. Imagine what those words must have sounded like. You're her. You thought you were dead. You knew you did it. You knew you were busted. Here's the religious guys. What? This is a bad day. And now you've just been given new life. Neither do I. That's grace. Aren't you thankful for those times in your life where you've heard Jesus say, neither do I? Some of us, we grew up with a lot of condemnation, whether it's from parents, teachers, coaches, whatever. We do a lot of self-condemnation. And today, sinners, Jesus looks at sinners like me and you. Who condemns you? (laughs) Neither do I. They're not qualified. 
I am and I don't. It's grace. 100% grace. You know why he can say that? Because in a short period of time, Jesus himself is going to go to a cross. And he's going to take that woman's sin that day. And all of your sins. And all of my sins. And he's going to go and he's going to stretch out his arms and give his life and fully satisfy the requirements of that law so that you and I can receive grace. He's full of grace. Thanks be to God. Now, if I ended the story here, it would be very culturally acceptable because we like this. We just like grace. Don't worry about sin. It's not such a big deal. We're just going to forget that, let her go. We all feel good, right? But that's not Jesus. It's not his full statement. He says, neither do I go and sin no more. Why'd you have to say that, Jesus? I mean, she's in a rough position. Do we really have to call it sin? Do we really have to, are we just kind of picking on her? Is this another example of how truth without grace is mean? Actually, he's demonstrating the fact that grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. Because sin has to be dealt with. And if we just look at sin and say, oh, it's no big deal, we're, we're going against what God says. It's not an option. And also, we're causing all sorts of problems because we've all been sinned against and we know that truth needs to be upheld, that justice needs to be upheld. If you go out in the parking lot after church and God forbid your car's stolen, you're going to want some truth. So would I. We need truth. We also need grace. And Jesus lives this life that is full of grace and truth. How about us, church? Can we do that? Can we live in that way? Because that's his call. We can't let go of truth because, friend, sin will ruin your life. I'll never stop proclaiming Jesus' truth to you because sin will ruin your life. And I don't want it to be ruined. And I'm accountable for what I say to you. But I'll also never stop proclaiming Jesus' grace. Because if it weren't for grace, I sure wouldn't be here. Would you? Grace is the only way that we can be made right with God. Jesus never let go of grace and truth, and neither will you or I. It's messy, it's difficult, it's often countercultural, but it's exactly what we're called to do. Anderson Hills, let us always be a place that is defined by grace and truth, not grace or truth, because and is always better. Thank you, Jesus, for your perfect sacrifice and your perfect example. Thank you that you perfectly lived out this tension of grace and truth, that you came and you were full of both. What a gift, a gift that we do not earn or deserve, but a gift you freely gave to us.